The following podcast is a glimpse into the life of Ecclesia Houston. We pray it is a blessing as you seek to follow Jesus, the liberating King, and live in his kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. Creator God, we're grateful to be in the space of people who love you. And as we begin our week, to step into a new world that you are creating. And we would ask, God, that you would give us a vision for who you would have us be, the words you would have us speak to our spouses, our children, our friends, our coworkers, our students, our teachers, so that we would be people of grace and love and hope. And God, we live in a world that in so many ways is broken. God, would you give us ears to hear and a heart to be about your repair in that world? And toward that end, God, I pray that you pour through me the gift of teaching, that everything said here be from you and because of you and guiding us towards you as we partner with you to bring about your preferred future for all of creation. And we ask this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. So you might have had an experience like I've had, and I think it's just part of the process of growing older where you are just amazed. I have just been amazed at how fast in life things change, like how rapidly the iterations come. This last spring, our family moved to a new house, and most of you have done that before in your time. And you know, when you first get there, there's a lot of stuff you just got to unload right out of the beginning because you need dishes and towels and all those things. But the rest of the stuff, it kind of happens over time. And so a couple of months ago, my daughters, I have a 15-year-old and a 12-year-old, and they come downstairs, and they've got this box of stuff that they don't know what to do with. And I look at it, and it's a box of VHS tapes. (laughs) And there are like some real classics in there, like the original Terminator, and like Say Anything, and like Beverly Hills Cop. And they don't know what to do with any of this. Like one of the tapes in there is my oldest daughter's, the videotape of my oldest daughter's ultrasound. And I remember that day going down to the medical center and they putting all that goop on my wife's belly and the little thing and her complaining about it being cold. And it, you know, the heartbeat just sounds like horses, like, and like, you can't see anything, but the nurse seems really confident that you're having a girl and all of that. And that just doesn't, That just doesn't seem like that long ago to me. Things happen really fast. So my wife teaches fifth grade, and she was telling me that one of her new colleagues who had just moved to Houston couldn't show a video to her class because the smart board in her classroom was broken. Now, if you haven't been in a school in a while, these classrooms now, have these enormous white smart boards. It's got all of this electronics built into it and they can write on them and draw them and show videos on them. And she couldn't show video because her smart board was broken and it was gonna take this technician coming out and fixing it and working on it and all this sort of stuff. And I remember being in fifth grade. And when my teacher wanted to show us a video, like there was like one TV in the whole school. And it was on that cart. And like a student had to go get it and push that cart with that VCR on it strapped down like an Apollo astronaut. That thing wasn't going anywhere. And they all, every single one of them had like that wheel, like that one wheel 
that was broken or had like gum, like cemented to it, and you couldn't hardly steer the thing, and it's like all over the hallway. And then when you finally got it to the classroom, your teacher used it so seldom because there was only one, like she could never remember how it actually worked. Like, is it supposed to be on channel three or channel four? Channel, like, that's what watching a video in school was. And by the time that you got the video and got it all set up, like class was over, just go on to the next class. And now they have smart boards. And so in this box that my daughter brought, this is one of my favorite movies that I've been wanting to sit down with her and watch for a long time. It's this movie called Conspiracy. And it's a Kenneth Branagh movie. Kenneth Branagh's in it with Stanley Tucci and Mr. Bates before he was Mr. Bates. And it's about this conference in Wannsee, Germany, outside of Berlin, during the height of World War II, when this group of Nazi generals and judges and lawyers got together to determine what they called the final solution to the Jewish question. And this is where the plan to load Jews onto trains and take them to gas chambers was rolled out. And during this conversation, one of the lawyers who was chiefly responsible for having written the Nuremberg Laws was talking about how complicated all of these new laws and how ad hoc they all were, were going to be. And so one of the generals accused him of having a special love for the Jews. And what I found fascinating about this movie is the language that they use. One is because every time they were talking about the extermination of this race, not just from Germany, but from all of Europe, they didn't use the word extermination. They used the word evacuation. But in this exchange between this lawyer and this general where he was accused of having a special love for the Jews, I was struck by the language that they used to talk about other people. And this is what he says. He says, forgive me from your uniform. I can infer you're shallow, ignorant, and naive about the Jews. Your line and what the party rants on about how inferior they are, some subspecies. And I keep saying how wrong that is. They are sublimely clever and they are intelligent as well. My indictment to that race is stronger and heavier because they're real, not your uneducated ideology. They are arrogant, they are self-obsessed, they are calculating and reject the Christ, and I will not have them pollute German blood. And there's all this language in the movie about invasion and pollution, about being overtaken, It's in the middle of that while I'm watching this with my daughter and all of these overwhelming feelings that I've had recently about how much and how quickly the world has changed that it dawns on me that the world hasn't changed that much. And all the ways that the world has changed, there are some things that are still very much the same. Because you're probably like me. You studied history in school. You probably thought we were done with Nazis. 
But if you just look at the grand sweep of human history, one of the things that keeps coming up over and over and over again, not just in one place, not just in one country, not just with one group of people or one political system, one governmental system, one of the things that keeps coming up over and over and over again throughout all of history is that human beings, we have an incredible way of visiting injustice on each other time and time again. That all of our old resentments and hatreds, they just keep popping up and they look different and sound different and they look the same and sound the same. And so if you've been around Ecclesia for the last month and a half, you know that Pastor Chris and I are in this series where we're looking at people from Christian history and the virtues that they demonstrated and what they've meant to us personally, but also what they mean for who we are as a church, who we are as a community. And so I wanted to introduce you today to one of my personal heroes. His name is Fred Gray. And I've met Fred Gray twice. Uh, The first time I met Fred Gray was about 12 years ago in Malibu, California. We were both speaking at a conference there. And then I met Fred Gray again about three years ago in Tuskegee, Alabama, um, at the museum that he and his children run there. This last summer, my daughter went to a camp and she got to spend time and meet Fred Gray as well. And I wanted to show you um, her picture with Fred Gray, but she didn't want me to because 15, My dad is a fraternity brother, Fred Gray. But if you've never heard of Fred Gray, you might not know that he was also the attorney for Rosa Parks and Martin Luther King Jr. Fred Gray was one of the only attorneys in Alabama at the time, one of the only African-American attorneys in Alabama. So during the civil rights movement in Alabama, he was everybody's attorney. (laughs) And Fred Gray has shaped your life in more ways than you can imagine. Because not only has he argued in front of the Supreme Court multiple times and shaped the civil rights movement, but every time you go to the doctor and they ask you to show up 15 minutes early, 30 minutes early, and they give you that huge packet of stuff to fill out, and you have to tell them all the diseases that you didn't have, and then you get really nervous and anxious because you did have a headache that one time, and now you think that you're dying of something. One of the papers that you sign when you're at the doctor is because of Fred Gray, and it's called informed consent which basically means that when your doctor, when your nurse does something to you, they have to tell you what they're doing to you. And this is because during the Great Depression, the federal government rounded up a bunch of African-American farmers in Alabama and gave them syphilis just to see what would happen. And it wasn't until decades later, when along came Fred Gray, who was the attorney for the plaintiffs, And the outcome of that has been that when you go to the doctor, the doctors have to tell you what they're doing to you. And if you didn't know 
Fred Gray was the attorney for Martin Luther King and Rosa Parks. And if you didn't know about informed consent and the Tuskegee syphilis study, you probably really didn't know that Fred Gray was also a preacher. He started preaching when he was 14 because that's what his mother wanted to do. And he is from the same Christian tribe that I grew up in. He's in Churches of Christ. And when he was 14, he traveled the country with a very famous preacher named Marshall Keeble, giving tent revivals and meetings all over the country. And this is what his parents wanted him to do. But when he was in college, he started looking around his world and decided that doing that, that that wasn't the fullness of who God wanted him to be. So as he was ending his time in college at Alabama State, he wrote this in his journal. He said, by my junior year at Alabama State, I understood more fully that everything was completely segregated, not only in Montgomery, but throughout the South and in many places across the nation. If a person of color had a claim against a white person, there was very little likelihood he would obtain justice. There were no African-American lawyers in Montgomery at the time. Very few white lawyers would handle these cases. I concluded that in addition to being a minister and trying to save souls for eternity, that in the here and now, African-Americans were entitled to all the rights provided by the Constitution of the United States of America. Therefore, I decided I would become a lawyer. Privately, I pledged that I would return to Montgomery and use the law to destroy everything segregated I could find. So here's what I want you to know about Fred Gray. That as he's finishing his undergraduate education, he decides he's going to do two things with his life. That he's going to save souls and destroy injustice that those are the callings of his life. And the reason that's important is that when you open your Bible, there is a continual refrain that the people of God, followers of God, are people of justice. That functionally and foundationally, to what it means to be a follower of God is someone who has dedicated their life to justice. But you know what happens? We get busy. We've got husbands and wives and kids and schedules and school and clients and business deals and we've got travel. And justice just isn't on our radar. I mean, it's really on our radar when it's close. And there's actually a cognitive fallacy that, that we, we think that injustice is more of an injustice if there's a perimeter, if there's mileage associated with it. So the farther it is away from us, the less we actually care about it, even though it might be a greater injustice. Or for some of us, we look around the world and we know that there's injustice, but we feel like we are inadequate to meet it. There's just nothing that we can do. Or, or worse than that, we look and we see that there's injustice. But secretly down deep, we know that the system as it is, the injustices that exist are actually there and they're a problem. But there are levels where that injustice is actually beneficial to us. 
and maybe the worst, is that we look around the world and we see injustice. And we think, you know what? Maybe if I just showed up for worship enough and went to my small group enough and prayed enough, that that would take care of it. And what's interesting about that is that's the exact thing that was happening in Isaiah 58. Matter of fact, the Hebrews, God's people, are crying out to God. They're praying to God over and over and over and over, and God is not listening to them at all. And it's not one of these things where it seems like God is not listening to them. God is not listening to them. And the reason we know that God is not listening to them is because God says, I'm not listening to you. It's not a figment of your imagination. I'm not paying attention to what you say. So God says, these people are wondering why I'm not listening to them. So I'm going to send my prophet, Isaiah, I'm going to send you and I want you to tell them why I'm not listening to them. And so this is what Isaiah, this is what God tells Isaiah. He says, tell my people about their wrongdoing. Shout with a voice like a trumpet. Hold nothing back. Say this people of Jacob's line and heritage have failed to do what is right. And yet they look for me every day. They pretend to want to learn what I teach. As if they are indeed a nation good and true, as if they hadn't really turned their backs on my directives. They even ask me as though they care about what I want them to be and do as if they really want me in their lives. Why didn't you notice how diligently we fasted before you? We humbled ourselves with pious practices and you paid no attention. They say, okay, God, we've done the stuff you asked us to do and you're saying that we're doing wrong stuff. You're saying we're not doing the right stuff. So what is the right stuff? This is what God says. I have to tell you, on those fasting days, all you were really seeking was your own pleasure. Besides, you were busy defrauding people and abusing your workers. Your kind of fasting is pointless, for it only leads to bitter quarrels, contentious backbiting, and vicious fighting. You are not fasting today because you want me to hear your voice. What kind of fast do I choose? Is a true fast simply some religious exercise for making a person feel miserable and woeful? And I know for a lot of us, like that, that's, what, that's what faith is, right? We, we were raised in a tradition that says, you know how you are following God? You feel really badly about yourself in the world. That if you didn't feel guilty, it wasn't really true. God says, is that what I'm asking? Just for you to feel bad? Is it about how you bow your head like a bent reed, how you dress in sackcloth and where you sit in a bed of ashes? Is this what you call a fast? A day the eternal one finds good and proper? The Hebrews say, God, we're doing all the stuff. We showed up for worship on time. We're in a small group. We went to the place and we did the thing and we wrote the check and all of that. And God says, you want to know what you did wrong? 
You defrauded people. And you abused people. What gives birth to injustice? Because we all have ideas about what injustice is. But what gives birth to injustice? Lying and abuse. Supporting liars and abusers. There is in our world a direct connection between the oppression of people and lying. There is in our world a connection between injustice and abuse of workers. And you don't have to believe me. That's what God says. God goes to the Israelites and he says, you're liars and you support liars. You're abusers and you enable abusers and this produces injustice. And why hasn't the world changed all that much? Because we don't see the connection between lying and injustice. We just think that lying is lying and everybody lies. You can't be the kind of person, God says, who works for the world that I am working for when you are immersed when you give cover for lying and abusing. God goes on. Now what I want in a fast is this, to liberate those tied down and held back by injustice, to lighten the load of those heavily burdened, to free the oppressed and shatter every type of oppression. A fast for me involves sharing your food with people who have none, giving those who are homeless a space in your home, giving clothes to those who need them, and not neglecting your own family. And you have to be real careful there when you're reading the Bible and you see the word family, because there are two groups of people in the scriptures. There's family and there are the nations. And when the Bible says family, it's not talking about your nuclear family, the people that live under your roof. It's talking about the people of God the whole body of Christ. So don't get a 21st century of reading and say family. Well, that's me and my spouse and our kids and maybe our cousins and the people who show up at Thanksgiving who I kind of like. It's the family of God. There's the family and there's the nations. Those are the two groups. Then your light will break out like the warm golden rays of a rising sun. In an instant, you will be healed. Your rightness will proceed and protect you. The glory of the eternal will follow and defend you. Fred Gray said, I pledged that I would return to Montgomery and use the law to destroy everything segregated I could find.
and the broad witness of Scripture is that Christian people are people who seek to destroy injustice. And what Fred Gray knew that many Christians forget is that our lives are meant to be lives that work to bring justice. And I don't know what that means for you, where you live, whom you live with, who you work with, where you go to school, the people in your community. But there are two suggestions I want to give you to shape our approach to justice. And the first is this, that justice is a first-order issue. So several weeks ago, Chris was here, and he was talking about the difference between first-order and second-order issues. And I know a lot of you are like me. You grew up in religious communities where they said a lot of things were first-order issues that really weren't. The Bible never mentioned those as first-order issues. But there are things that the gospel talks about are first-order or what Jesus calls the weightier matters of the law. This is how Matthew 25 talks about it. When the Son of Man comes in all his majesty, accompanied by throngs of heavenly messengers, his throne will be wondrous. All the nations will assemble before him, and he will judge them, distinguishing them from one another as a shepherd isolates the sheep from the goats. He will put some, the sheep, at his right hand, and some, the goats, at his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you beloved, you people whom my Father has blessed, claim your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you from the beginning of creation. You shall be richly rewarded when I was, for when I was hungry, you fed me. And when I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. I was alone as a stranger, and you welcomed me into your homes and into your lives. I was naked, and you gave me clothes to wear. I was sick, and you tended my needs. I was in prison, and you comforted me. Even then, the righteous will not have achieved perfect understanding and will not recall these things. Master, when did we find you hungry and give you food? When did we find you thirsty and slake your thirst? When did we find you a stranger and welcome you in or find you naked and clothe you? When did we find you sick and nurse you to health? When did, you vis when did we visit you when you were in prison? I tell you, whenever you saw a brother or sister hungry or cold, whatever you did to the least of these, so you did for me. And so you, you won't have to have ever read the Bible in your life to likely have heard something from Matthew 25 about feeding the hungry and clothing the naked. But what often gets passed over when people read Matthew 25 is that the New Testament, the scriptures say, feeding the hungry and clothing the naked, that's not just a good work that we do. That's how we separate the sheep from the goats. That's how you know who is the real thing versus who's pretending to be the real thing. It's a first order issue. But in the 21st century, you watch cable news, get online, do you know how 21st century people determine who's a real Christian, who's a real follower of Jesus versus who's not? 
opinions. Who's got the right opinion about this issue? Who's got the right opinion about that issue? Who thinks we ought to build this thing? Who thinks we shouldn't build that thing? Who is sufficiently conservative? Who is sufficiently liberal? And if you're not in my camp, then you're not really the real thing. And both of those groups talk to each other and have conversations on cable news and Facebook all day and haven't done a thing for anybody. And Jesus says, this is how you know the real from the fake. The real do these things. They bring justice where they go. And the others talk about bringing justice. Second, regardless of what you do for a living, Justice is what you do with your life. Prophet Micah talks about it this way. He says, he has told you, God's told you, mortals, what is good in his sight. What else does the eternal ask of you but to live justly and to love kindness and to walk with your true God in all humility? To live justly. So the second time, I met Fred Gray, we were sitting in a circle um, at his museum there in Tuskegee, Alabama. And he asked me, he said, so young man, and he called everybody young men. I think even the women, he called them young men. (laughs) He said, so young man, uh, what do you do? And I said, well, uh, I'm a preacher. And he said, ah. Like Martin. Well, you know. (laughs) He said, we needed the preachers. He said, we needed the preachers. He said, "The, the preachers gave the speeches. But the laws are what needed to change. So that's what I did. To use the interest, skills, ability, training, the calling of your life to bring about justice is your calling. Now, I don't know what everyone in this room does Monday through Friday from 9 to 5. And whether you are a hairdresser or an accountant, whether you're retired or a stay-at-home mom, whether you have clients to see, businesses to coach, people to manage, regardless of what you do for a living, justice is what you do with your life. And I would bet that where you live, where your feet take you every day, that there are spaces there where God is asking you to bring justice. So my wife is a fifth grade teacher. And there's this approach to classroom management that she's been trying to get some of her colleagues to embrace for the last couple of years. And teachers have more to do than any group of people for the lowest pay and least amount of recognition in the world, hands down, fight me. (laughs) 
And so I get their reticence to try something new. And it's called restorative justice in the classroom. And so she and another teacher decided that since everybody's not going to buy in, let's just the two of us do it. And so this past summer, they read all the books and they went to trainings and articles and all of that. And they're implementing this in their classroom. And it asks so much of teachers. She's on her feet a whole lot longer. There are more things for her to do. The day starts with the kids in the circle, and they get to determine how they're going to treat each other every day and what the policies of the room are going to be. And if something goes strangely awry, how they mediate it together and work through it. And this is amazing because in her room, not even all, all the kids don't even speak English. She's got one kid who speaks Mandarin, and no one else in the school speaks Mandarin. And so a couple weeks ago, I asked her, I said, well, how's it going? And she said, well, it requires a lot. But it's revolutionized my classroom. Because as a community, we decided together how we're going to treat one another. And as a community, we have decided what's out of bounds and how we're going to speak to one another. And we start our day together, sharing what life is and what's going on with us every day. And she said, I don't have a classroom. I have a community. And so... Whatever it is that you do, because this world is so broken and deficient, what the Apostle Paul calls groaning, there is space for you to bring justice. And we do this not just because we want some Pollyanna, pie-in-the-sky kind of world. But because we are saved by a God who descended to us, who condescended to us to bring us redemptive justice so that we could live and never stop living. And it's for that reason that when we leave this place, when we walk out of these walls, we are people who are committed in every place and in every way to bring about justice. And it's the only way that we can wake up in five or 10 years and the world have changed and have all new phones. But maybe we won't have all the same old fears only through the power of Jesus' redemptive justice. Ecclesia, let me pray for you. God, would you make us people of justice? People who seek to be your hands and feet in a world that is broken and hurting and unjust and unfair and that loves systems of oppression. And that you would allow us to step beyond ourselves and outside of ourselves to embrace the world that you've created as you are recreating it. And we ask for this power through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. 
Thank you for listening to our podcast. If you would like more information, please visit our website at www.ectasiahouston.org.